And anytime you're not enjoying work, it's like it's important. It's up to you to say, okay, I'm not enjoying this. How am I going to like re-engage? And how am I going to fire like fire myself up again? And not everybody has the liberty to just stop working, but you know when you're out at, at, out of your zone and you're out of your lane, and you have to pay attention to that. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So please welcome Chelsea Handler to the couch. Chelsea is a longtime friend of the skim and actually was one of our earliest investors. Thank you. You might know her from her stand-up or her seven-year run as the host of the late-night talk show Chelsea Lately on E! or her Netflix shows Chelsea Does and Chelsea, where she's gone deep on everything from Silicon Valley to ayahuasca. Chelsea has done it all. And of course, you might know her as the author of five best-selling books, including her latest one, Life Will Be the Death of Me. And we're recording on the day of its release. Congratulations, Chelsea, on that and everything else. We're so excited to be celebrating with you here on the couch. Thank you. Hi, girls. It's nice to see you again. It's so good to see you. It's good to see you. So we're going to start with an easy question for you. Skim your resume for us. My resume, loudmouth, um, <laughs> cash a check, loudmouth, cash a check, loudmouth, cash a check. And just getting rewarded for bad behavior was basically my entire <laughs> that's, career. That's great. Yeah, I made a career out of being loud, obnoxious, in your face, and I just... It seemed to work out, so I stuck with. I st- stuck, stuck with it. Stuck. I stuck yeah. with it. Yeah, I stuck with it. I stuck a with it. You stuck with it. I skimmed with it, <laughs> um, and uh, and then you know eventually you're just like, wait a second, what am I doing? <laughs> Not like that way, like ick. More like, wait, what am I doing moving forward? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do as that's important? What is something that is not on your resume that people would be surprised to know that you've done or do? That's not on my resume. Um, okay, let me think. And I've been thinking of something adventurous, but I guess I'm probably, I pretty much telegraph that on my social media too. So everybody <laughs> knows everything I do. There are no secrets, is the problem with I being do, me. I do love your social you media. Can't, can't, you know, I don't have any secrets. That's why, because that's how I've been trained to not have secrets. Were you always the loudmouth growing up? Or is that like a personality that you put on? Well, it was, yeah, I was the youngest of six kids. So that comes with being like a little, I was born like, you know, I was a firecracker and was loud and talky and wanted what I wanted and was cute. So I got a lot of attention. And then, um, and then my brother died. And when he died, that all of the attention that was swirling around me that I had felt retreated because everybody was grieving my brother dying and I was nine years old. And so my personality combined with that loss created a maelstrom of emotion of me. Not only was I now like the rug was pulled out from under me in many senses of the word because my family was broken, but the person that I trusted the most was gone. And then the person I trusted second the most, which was my dad, he fell apart and never really recovered after my brother's death. And that made me be really strong and fierce and independent and fight all the time for what was what I thought was right or what I thought I deserved or respect. And I don't ever have to lean on a man and I'm going to be, I'm not going to have kids. Watch me, watch me succeed in life without anybody. That was my story. So I want to switch to the book, which is um, 
it's out today. So yes. congratulations. Life will be the death of me. It is, you've been a best-selling author before, so that's nothing new. But this is a very different book than anything you've ever put out there. Um, it is much more serious than the other books. And while you put yourself out there in many ways all the time, it was a different way. And one of the reviews said raw. And oh, I yes, liked raw that is description. a good word. When you talk about, you know, we all have anyone who's been a fan of yours, we associate you with this like tough persona. And you're you're tough, you're sarcastic, you're funny, like you seem the most confident person in the world. And so much of this book is talking about the therapy that you've gone through in, in you know, in these recent years. Talk to us just about this book and how this was a release for you. It was a release because I was never allowed to, I never allowed myself to be vulnerable. I mean, I moved at 150 miles an hour because that's that way I never had to sit still and deal with anything. And I thought things were going great. I was making a ton of money and I, I have been and I had this great career for so many years. And I just thought, being in therapy was narcissistic. Like, oh, you have a show named after you, you have books named after you, and you now you want to go sit on a couch and navel gaze? <laughs> like, I just thought, oh, I'm just so L.A., you know? And I didn't want to start throwing around words like gratitude and the universe and kale and all that shit that comes with L.A., you know what I mean? Because there's trends, and it makes spirituality and, like, consciousness or mindfulness seem like a trend as well when it shouldn't be, and it shouldn't be diminished like that because it so adds so much value to your life. But I had a really hard time sitting still. And if you're basing your success on, you know, what's in your bank account and all the great vacations you're taking, it's going pretty well. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, I haven't even thought about what I really want to do. I've just been saying yes to what's been saying yes to me. So uh, for me, therapy was about a validating the fact that I had a right to be in therapy. Like I thought, you know, everyone does. And that my injury was worthy. Like for a long time, I thought, well, I wasn't raped. I wasn't molested. I don't have anything to be upset about. Look at my life. And and, you know, that may very well be true, but everybody's pain is deserving to be heard. And what my therapist did over and over again was relitigate back to me why I deserve to be upset about my brother dying when I was nine years old. He's like, you have every right to be like that. And your patterns of behavior throughout your life are a direct result of that. So diminishing it doesn't do anybody any favors. Looking at it and going through it and trying to cut through it and say, okay, this is me. This is who I am. Now I can identify what my you know, shortcomings are and and be better for it. Finally, I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is, I want to be in a state of action, not reaction. I don't want to react to everything. How did you cope with actually looking backwards? Did you really take the year off and sit in it? Because I think for people that are listening to our podcast, for the two of us, it's always about what you're doing next, what's coming next, that I think people don't even know how to look back. Like, where do you start? Yeah, I think, you know, I think taking the time for yourself to even think about your own life is so important because we're all just hustling all the time. And then you think back and you're like, wait, where did that year go? There's too many incredible moments I've had in my life that I don't remember, you know, like that I just was like, oh, I can't wait to go to bed. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. What is the point of that? You know, I got it. I got all of the, what I needed. So now, like, let me see what I can give back or, or what what's needed from me rather than just you know, ca like I said, cashing a check or not being thoughtful about what you're putting out there. I mean, you guys must feel like starting a business like this, how crazy your last few years have been. And, you know, and you feel like it's going to calm down and you're going to get to the point where it's going to relax. And yeah, we when, learned I, that's not happening. when I turn 40, I'm not going to be on camera. I just shot a documentary where I'm on camera. You know, like when I turn 40, I'm going to retire. Like I, ha you have all these ideas. So I was like, well, let me start putting into motion, like actually, you know, what I want out of my life. And then maybe I'll be able to 
to give something more and contribute more than I have been because I felt like I wasn't doing a good enough job. So take away the celebrity part of you. Like at the end of the day, like you are a high powered businesswoman and we thank you. You're welcome. And we deal with a lot of high powered business professionals um, and uh, you know, things like therapy or dealing with mental health come up a lot in, in kind of social conversations. And a thing that we hear a lot is like, I just don't have time. Like it's not, it's forget the money part of it for a second. Like I just don't have time. There's so many other things I have to do. And if I have an extra hour, like I want to go home and see my family or I want to maybe like go work out for a little bit. And I think part of when you become successful in your careers, you've gotten to get really good at compartmentalizing and compartmentalizing enables us to multitask in many ways and enables us to have clear, clear head and focus when needed. How do you sort of reconcile the I don't have time or, you know, I am just, I'm going and I'm focusing and I'm compartmentalizing with what you obviously have found in such value in doing therapy. I would say to people, I mean, I read this in a book called Essentialism that I love. And I would say to people, like, if you don't make your time a priority, somebody else will. So it's up to you. Like, do you want to be in charge of your happiness? Do you want to be in charge of your life? Like, I meditate every morning now for 20 minutes. This is a sentence I thought would never, ever come out of my mouth. I mean, it makes me want to, you know, I have to say it every day just to get less nauseous saying it because (laughs) I feel like a traitor. Something that I've done for this book tour, which is, you know, this is, I'm speaking in languages I haven't spoken. I've been on a book tour five or six times before, five times before this. And always while I had a show, always while I was doing stand-up, always doing a tour, doing every Everything, everything, everything I could do to show everybody I was stronger, tougher. Chelsea can handle it. Chelsea can handle it. Like the more you throw at me, the more I'm going to do. This is the first time in my life that I actually had time to write a book without having the book first. I just wrote this. And then I was like, maybe this is a book and gave it. And they were like, yes, this is a book. But this is the first time I've had one focused, my attention on one thing rather than 80 things. So the integrity of the work is at a different level. And now that I see that, it makes me realize that you can't do 50,000 things at the same time. You know, even with something like the skim, like you guys are doing everything that's skim related. So even though you're probably feeling so spread thin, it's got, you've got the same agenda. So you're on the right track because you're not doing the skim and 50,000 other things on the side, or maybe you are. We're not. But... But even though there's a lot of like antennas coming out of this, you're all you have one main focus. Are you saying no more? Yes, I try to say no more. I try and be think about things in an essentialist way. Like, is it essential for my, you know, me or my family's happiness or is it not? If it's not and you're constantly doing favors for people, that's going to get old quick. And then you become resentful and then you become a bitch when you (laughs) in that order. (laughs) When you were thinking about this book book tour, which is different in many ways, because the book is different and you're at a different stage personally. Did you have any hesitations about, I mean, this book is so much, it's honest in a different way. Were you nervous to get up there and talk about it? Um, I'm not, I mean, I'll be nervous. I'm going on a, you know, I'm going on this book tour, so it's going to be different every night. But yes, I'm looking at the tour differently. I've looked at like how I want to present myself and how, what kind of conversations I want to have. And I didn't think the tour matched stand up because it's a more serious book, but I still wanted to have a really fun night with friends who know me and we could talk about, you know, all the personal things that aren't in the book. So I, that's why I chose different people for each city. And we have cool authors that I've admired for a long time in certain cities. Yeah. I want it tonally to be different because I'm in a different place. And it doesn't mean like, you know, people, I wanted to just like, get to the next evolution of me without fighting it so much and having it be so traumatic. So you talk about the evolution of you, and I, I want to kind of 
go back for a second, which is a lot of our listeners, um, you know, they've written in or, or we've talked about in previous podcasts, the idea of changing careers, the idea of reinventing yourself or pivoting. And I think you've pivoted a lot and you've done that with seemingly with intention, like as a fan, you know, it's like, okay, stand up comedian makes sense that you got this talk show. I'm like, okay, maybe, I don't know why you wanted to leave E, but like you went to Netflix, all of a sudden you're doing documentaries. Now all of a sudden you're doing more documentaries, more books. Are all of those decisions intentional? And how do you think about um, kind of the reinvention of yourself along your career? I mean, there have been decisions that have been intentional and there have been instances where they were it wasn't intentional, where I was, you know, just kind of given a situation and had to figure out what to do with it. But I mean, you get yourself where you're going all the time. And I think to be honest about what, you know, like being in a flow state, you know, about being in a state where you feel like, oh, I'm creating. This is right. This book feels right to me. The documentary I just shot for Netflix feels right to me. It's about white privilege. These projects aren't about my ego. They're about making, you know what I mean? They're where it's about just sharing an experience and kind of experiential. And that's where I really love the things I really love to do. Yet, you know, you get drawn to do a talk show because you did a talk show. So people think you should do another one and you get and then you get sucked into that and you and then you're on a cycle and you're like, well, I haven't really even thought about what I'm doing. I loved making the documentaries. And that's why Netflix is so great, because they knew how passionate I was about that. And that's where I, what I wanted to really do. So they were cool with it. I mean, not, you know, everybody gets to make I mean, that just speaks to my privilege alone that I get to make a documentary about it. So I'm sure I'll get a lot of shit for that too. But, you know, I like getting a lot of shit for stuff. Did you change your definition of success? Yes. Yeah, I did. I think when you're young, you really, really want everyone to know your name. And then you grow up and you're like, I don't need everybody to know. <laughs> like that's a little bit uh, like too much on the nose. And then you're like, I would like to go to some places and be able to walk around in a bathing suit without getting photographed <laughs> at some point. So yes, you get, I think I got a big dose of myself. When you think about kind of your career pivots or evolution, which of which of the ones that you did were you the most scared? That's a good question. I think I'm the most scared. You know, it's funny to talk about being scared now because now I feel like I'm in such a state of like, you know how to get yourself to a place where you need to be calm, relaxed, and like be on your own team. I think that's the thing I learned the most. It's not that I've ever been so scared because I, I don't have that feeling so much, but I've felt un, un, not right where it doesn't feel right. And when we ignore that intuition that we all are born with, like that muscle is there and it's about whether or not we want to use it and pay attention to it. Instinct is everything. And, you know, we don't trust our instincts at all, I think, because we get tired and we're tired. We want the day to end. We want somebody else to make the decision. And if you're not operating on your instincts, then you're not like in a flow state. You're not in it. You're just trying to get through it. And anytime you're not enjoying work, it's like it's important. It's up to you to say, OK, I'm not enjoying this. How am I going to like reengage and how am I going to fire like fire myself up again? And not everybody has the liberty to just stop working. But you know when you're out at, at, out of your zone and you're out of your lane and you have to pay attention to that. And I wish I had paid attention to it all the time because it's a lesson you keep learning. I learned it when I was 20. I learned it again when I was 30. And I learned it again when I was 40. There's a phrase I'd like to see more of. Go on. Spring showers bring May flowers. Did you just come up with that? I did. But I've been thinking about it a lot and hoping that it's true. And it got me thinking about waiting for payoffs. And you know what that leads to? Go on. Investing. <laughs> 
See what I did there? I, I'm following, yes. Okay, so Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free, which is important because other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade. But Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, meaning you can trade and keep all your profits. Robinhood is giving listeners of Skim from the Couch a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at skim.robinhood.com. That's skim.robinhood.com. As someone that has not done ayahuasca but is very interested in it, did that, I did that start this? this. <laughs> no, I want to know. I mean, I know obviously it was filmed and it was on the show, but, you know, hearing you speak now about intuition and gratitude and all of these words you thought you would never use, would you, do you think that experience started that or like totally different and started with you in therapy? Well, I mean, I the ayahuasca, which I, you know, my, that's Shauna. Shauna, who's here, my sister's here, who's uh, that chapter. Wait, also, her. Before, for those who don't know, what is ayahuasca? Ayahuasca is a plant that grow in Peru and then they mix it into a hot tea and they brew it and then you drink it and you get super fucked up. You're, you have like a psychedelic trip but it's all repressed memories in your brain. So you have like this phantasmagoria of images that run through, that are of your childhood. So you see yourself as a little girl. In my instance, I saw my sister Shauna, me on our beach in Martha's Vineyard that we grew up on. We don't have our own beach, but you know, (laughs) there was a, a little bay in front of our house. And I just saw our childhood play out. Like we were on kayaks and we would tip each other over and we'd pee in each other, you know, we would like pee in each other's kayaks or be laughing so hard we would be, you know, peeing in our pants. A lot of peeing. A lot of peeing in our family. It's a theme. And then we had like this dog that was running across the bay and I was like, oh my God, that's Whitefoot. I almost like forgot about our dog, but all of the images were true. So I was like, those are, these are real things. This is real. These are memories that I forgot. And it just went around and it was like this glistening light and it just all the happiest days of my childhood. And for Shoshana and me, it was, you know, it was my message was love your sister more. She's not you. Stop pretending. Stop demanding that she act more like you. Like I wanted her to be more adventurous and move out of the suburbs. Why do you want to live on in New Jersey? What's wrong with you? <laughs> We're supposed to leave New Jersey, you know, and I didn't understand or respect that she just had a different outlook than I did. I was all about me. Like, why doesn't she want to do what I want to do? It doesn't make any sense. Like, because she doesn't want the attention. You do. <laughs> you want the attention. And like, that's the that's the more embarrassing part, not her part. But I want to go back to, you talk about gut instinct. We both like think about gut instinct and intuition a lot. For me personally, I always have felt that I have very strong intuition and gut. And I think that's what led us to start the skim. But I've actually found as the skim has become more of a thing and there's more employees and more people around the table that I've lost confidence sometimes in my gut, that I I can't channel it the way I used to. And it drives, it drives me crazy. And I'm curious, how have you been able to like tap into your gut again? Like what where where do you find that? And how would you tell other people who are listening to to really isolate their gut instinct? I think that's such a great point that you bring up because it's something I wrestled with for a lot, like a, a, about two years. I was like in that zone where I couldn't trust my gut. And I, I was like, that was everything to me. I was like, I know everything from my gut. And I think it's such a, like, it's so clear that when your world becomes really big and the business you're creating or the brand or your show, whatever you're in, when it starts to balloon, you're gut. There's too many voices around to hear your gut. You can't hear your own voice. And so for me, another answer, meditation. (laughs) 
But I have to say, like, the most creative I've become in the recent months is every time I'm meditating in the morning, I force myself to do it no matter what, 20 minutes every morning. But I think that's so important because we do get, there's a cacophony of, of voices and, and, and you hire more people and there's more people chipping in. And so you're not, it's not left to you to make those decisions as frequently as it was before because there are so many people around you. So to check back in with yourself, you have to have really focused attention. And, you know, meditating, my guy was like, go meditate for three months and you have to just do it every morning. And I was like, I could be dead in three months. I don't have three months to commit to something. I'm like, that's longer than a pregnancy. He's like, it's not actually. (laughs) I was like, well, whatever. It sounds like one. And then... And then I woke up and I was like, I'm going to do it. I've never done anything for three months. Who knows what the possibilities are? Because I was such an impatient person and always operating on impulse, impulse. And then literally, like it's been six months. And if I don't do it, I feel it. I'm so much calmer. I don't react to things. If I do, I look away. I might try meditation. I think that will get you back into your like flow state in terms of decision making. Before you got all calm. What are the things that used to like trigger you with stress? Where did you kind of just like lose it? Anything. I mean, if the fucking microwave looked at me wrong, I mean, if something like I have this, I mean, I'm still, it's not like I'm fixed. I'm just aware now of what my problems are. I mean, and now I'm on the road to like trying to get better at that, at knowing, because I think half of it is identification, awareness, and modification. You identify the problem and you're aware of it. And then you're like, let me try not to be a bitch right now, you know, and it's that stupid, but it makes you first of all, it makes you just so much calmer. And so the little things, like I was driving in the car the other day and I'm talking on the phone with my assistant and my my big uh, Yeti container goes flying because my driveway is pretty steep. And it just, you know, all over my car, everywhere. And it's like red, you know, I've got some electrolyte shit in it. And I was like, oh my God, fuck. This is how I'm going to start my day. It's like 7.30. And I just pulled over and I was like, all right, just pull over and just breathe. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> But it, and then I was fine and I was able to laugh and I wasn't freaking out about a cup falling because who gives a shit? Like if you're going to be late, you're going to be late. And if you're not, you're not like it all works out. And I know that's a thing that people like, I remember when my makeup artist used to go, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I go, stop saying that. It doesn't mean anything. Nothing's going to be okay. There are children in whatever country you want to choose being, you know, raped and murdered or whatever. And she goes, but Chelsea, even though all of these terrible things are happening, like you're either like breathing or you're not. Right. So as long as you're breathing, which Oprah talks about and her, mm-hmm. all of her super soul <laughs> yeah. things, which is another thing, you know, I never thought I would be listening to. But it's so important. There's, you know, spirituality for a reason. It's to, it's to calm. And then you're like operating at a higher kind of vibration and you're pulling in people that you like. Let, everything's less annoying. I mean, I take a lot of cannabis too, so <laughs> Edibles are legal in LA, so it's a whole new world. So it's a whole new world. Yeah. Okay. So there's a quote in the book that that stood out to us. And you said, before you can be of use to other people, you need to clean out your own injuries. And that's obviously what it sounds like you've been doing for the past few years. Um, Since your show ended in 2017, you've gotten pretty political. Um, Let's talk about that. What, What prompted it? How do you deal with the backlash? And how has it, I think, opened you up to what you're doing now? Um, I mean, what prompted it was the election and what the, I just felt out of control. I felt like I, and I am out of control. So for me to feel out of control is a different thing. You know, for me, that's the world is out of control. I've always been out of control, but the world is fine. So for me to feel like the world was also matching me, I was like, well, who's going to be in charge here? 
and you know back to my nine-year-old self i'm like well i will i'll go in and i'll do whatever i can i'm gonna i can fix this i can fix this situation i can just go campaign for candidates and if everybody does that you know if enough people do it we'll see what we saw in november which is exactly what happened enough people were as outraged so that worked out but what have i what i've learned is that you can't operate at a 10. you know i was so angry and i was so mad and i was addicted to the news and finding out when they were going to remove trump from office as if it was going to happen any moment every single day and what i learned is that to be really uh, effective, you can't be at a 10. Every crisis can't be a 10. It has to be at a five and six and play to the long game. And so that's a good lesson for me to learn with regard to life and regard to jobs. I treat everything like it's a temporary gig. I don't ever want to commit to anything. So it's like, well, why is that? Why are you choosing things you don't want to commit to? And what are your commitment issues? Let's get both of those things out on the table so we can find out what you really want to do. How do you, you know, when we talk about the political stuff, like, it's, I mean, our audience is very much split down the middle politically. And I think, you know, I'm sure that you've definitely lost some of your audience and fans um, because you have come out so vocally against Trump. How do you, do you respond to criticism today maybe differently than you did when you first were doing stand-up and first came on the show? I mean, I, I think we talk on the show all, all the time about it's not fun to not be liked. And it's not fun to not be liked by an employee. It's not fun to not be liked by your audience or your customer. And it's, it's while it's a gift to get feedback, it's like gift in quotes sometimes because you're like, I really hate hearing this right now. What is it like to be on such a public stage and hear people say not nice things about you or strongly disagree with you? I don't, I don't want to be a person who only respects people who like me. It's, it's powerful to like someone who doesn't like you and to not care that they don't like you. So I take a lot of pride in that. <laughs> what that's interesting. Like, that seems like, did it take you a while to to come around to that? Oh view? yeah, that's a new thing. Yeah, that's, 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 that oh, sounded yeah. like a new, brand new. <laughs> yeah. What about, you know, especially for our listeners who, you know, are probably not have, dealing with like what happens when the public does that, but what happens when your coworkers give critical feedback or you find out that your boss said something maybe not that nice about you? You know, we've all had those moments in, a different scale. And I'm curious what your reaction used to be. Um, to, and when you think back about that, what would you change? Yeah, I think that is, first of all, a huge, uh, always an opportunity when somebody criticizes you, because it's great to be like, thank you for telling me that. <laughs> like, it feels really good to exercise that and be like, oh, thank you. I didn't. Oh, wow. I didn't realize I was coming across like it's such an opportunity to prove that person wrong. My friend, Mary McCormick, my best friend, was one said to me, she's like, you shouldn't have been, this was years ago. And she said, you shouldn't have been at that party last night. You were really drunk. And I was like, oh God, I better go out tonight and make a new impression. Man. <laughs> and she was like, that's actually really smart. Go out tonight, don't drink and make sure you see all the same people. I'm like, all right, I'll try. You know, because then they'll be like, oh, it's not Chelsea, she's great. But that's pretty much what everything in life is. It's like, that's an opportunity for you to do the opposite. So take the criticism, think about it. If it's completely out of left field and, you know, inappropriate, then that's one thing. But there's always some truth to a little, you know, everything. And uh, it's good to be like, you know what? Thanks for that note. And then flip it on its head and make a new impression the next time. I feel like you would be really good at at negotiating for yourself. And that's something, well, first of all, are you? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. I think so. I just had that feeling. Um, what are some tips or how do you go into a negotiation? With a lot of confidence. I think like any negotiation is about saying, hey, listen, like this is what's happening. You can, I'm not sitting here waiting. Like there's a million opportunities in this world and I don't want to 
ever feel like somebody's doing me a favor. You know, I still have that chip on my shoulder. So that's good. I don't want to feel like that. And I'm sure it's happened and unbeknownst to me or, you know, but I think confidence is everything. You have to believe in yourself. Like you really have to believe in what you're doing. Don't think you're a fake. Don't, I mean, there were, I went through like two years where I was like, who am I? What am I? Do you know, am I a fake? Am I even funny? Am I smart? Am I well-read? What am I? And it's like, don't play that game with yourself. Start with the things that you are and build on that. So confidence is so essential in really manifesting things and making things happen because without your belief in yourself, you're never going to get there in the first place. So I would just say that you have to believe in yourself and figure out a way to do that. Do you usually say if you're negotiating like um, a salary or contract, do you say what you want first? Um, I'll say like where I want to land. Yeah. I mean, I'm also, you know, I like to work hard. Like I like to show up and prove myself to to a fault. I think all women are always trying to be like, oh, I'll be one of the guys, you know, I'll do it. I'll do extra. I'll do extra. And I'm done with doing that. Like, I'm not doing extra anymore. You know what I mean? I've, like, built a foundation for my life where I can be comfortable, and I don't want to do extra, and I don't want to show up and think you're going to get that back. You know, you play one of, like, the you think you're going to be, like, the cool chick that's doing that, and then you get... And nobody cares anyway in the end. Nobody rewards you for that. So it's not about being more selfish. It's about being more strategic. Okay, lightning round. Uh, We'll ask you questions. You answer first thing that comes to your mind. You're going to be good at this. Yeah. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Oh, I thought for sure I would be a nanny. I thought I was going to be a nanny to a bunch of children because I knew I didn't want kids. Interesting. First job? Waitress. Worst job? Uh, Working in a t-shirt store, Martha's Vineyard, folding t-shirts in the back. Oh, so depressing. (laughs) Worst professional mistake you've made? Oh, God. Coasting that reality show I did years ago called The Lot with Steven Spielberg as the producer, it was a reality show. And they host, they asked, had me host it. Oh, yes. And after like three episodes, I was like, you guys, this is so bad. (laughs) No, we know. (laughs) Um, First phone call when you get good news. Shauna, usually. First phone call when you get bad news. I don't call people anymore when I get bad news. You meditate? I just try and digest it. When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Just now. We just, we just, just now, yeah. We're doing a limited podcast for my tour. So we did that with iHeart. How do people know when you're stressed? They know. Everyone <laughs> knows. What drives you? Uh, vacation. I like that answer. <laughs> that might drive me too. That drives me as well. What is your shameless plug? My shameless plug uh, to my stand-up comedy tour, I think. That's a sit-down comedy tour. Shit. Sit down. That's my plate. Shameless plug. <laughs> ChelseaHiller.com. Thanks, Chelsea. Congratulations. Thanks, girls. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the skimm.com. Two M's for a little something extra. What stresses you out? You. <laughs> that's, that's fair. It's fair. I get that. Um, this is like when someone tells you to go to bed and then all you can think about is everything else that's keeping you from going to bed.
I feel like you're not in a good place today. So whether you want tips on how to spruce up your home on a budget or want to see how you can Marie Kondo your desk at work or just want our favorite spring reads, we have got it all. Visit theskim.com slash spring now to see more. That's theskim.com slash spring. See you there.